X Talks connects professionals in the life science, medical device, and food industries with useful content like webinars, job openings, articles, and virtual meetings to help you succeed in your career. This food industry-focused podcast brings together some of our editorial staff to share insights into the latest B2B industry news to help keep you up to date. This week on the show, we are discussing titanium dioxide alternatives as ban concerns intensify and a lab-grown meat ban looming in Italy in a bid to protect their food heritage. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Xtalks Food Podcast. I'm Sydney Perlmutter, Senior Food Industry Journalist and Webinar Moderator at Xtalks.com, and this week I'm joined by Aisha Rashid, Vera Kovacevic, and Sarah Hand. Thanks for coming today. So I am going to start us off with a very interesting topic about um, titanium dioxide. It's been put in the spotlight recently after a California, um, it was a bill that was uh, proposed in California um, that if it was passed, it would make it the first state to ban the sale and manufacture of foods containing titanium dioxide among other chemicals and dyes. And if you don't know what titanium dioxide is, I will get into it very, very soon. Um, But it's unclear at this point in time whether the bill has enough momentum to to pass but it certainly intensified the search to replace titanium dioxide or find alternatives for it and although the ingredient would remain uh, generally recognized as safe or grass um, by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration um, at levels of no more than 1% of the food by weight, food manufacturers would have to find titanium dioxide alternatives and potentially reformulate recipes. And currently more than 1,800 brand name food products in the U.S. have titanium dioxide listed in the ingredient statement. Now, in a response to the proposed bill, several food industry groups sent a letter opposing the bill saying that all five of these additives, and those include red dye number three, which I've talked about before, titanium dioxide, potassium bromate, brominated vegetable oil, and propyl propylparaben, I believe is how you pronounce it, um, have been thoroughly reviewed by the federal and state systems and many international scientific bodies and continue to be deemed safe. So these food industry groups obviously are, you know, not happy about a potential ban just because of how much, you know, possible work would have to go into finding a replacement. So now, as promised, I'll talk a a little bit about what titanium dioxide is. So, you know, from its name, it's made from titanium, which is an element in the Earth's crust and a transition metal on the periodic table, bringing us back to, you know, grade school science. Now, the ingredient is used um, in paint, whiteout, skincare products, namely sunscreen, and it functions as an ultraviolet light filter. And in food, it's long been used as a coloring agent to whiten or provide a cloudy effect in products like candies, gum, sauces, and baked goods, among many others. Now, in the U.S., titanium dioxide may not be in foods with a standard of identity or SOI unless it is included in the standard. So that does not make sense. So an example of that is the standard for mozzarella cheese states that coloring may be used to mask any natural yellow color in the curd. But on the other hand, Monterey Jack cheese does not have color included in its SOI. So while it is a white cheese, color cannot be added to make it any whiter. But with mozzarella... Um, you know, as may be done with mozzarella. So the ingredient has been in and out of the food safety conversation since the European Food Safety Authority banned its use as a food additive in the EU in 2021. 
Uh, but a handful of U.S. chains like Panera Bread have already outpaced regulators here, um, and they announced that you know they'll no longer sell products that contain the ingredient. And like I said, although it is currently approved um, for use in the U.S., formulators in North America and Europe are looking for titanium dioxide alternatives in everything from creamers to cheeses and cake frostings to hard shell candies. Now, it's not as simple as you would think um, to, to, to find an alternatives and formulating food products without the unique properties of titanium dioxide is, is quite a complex technical challenge. So the ingredient, uh, it, it boasts heat stable opacity and a bright white color. And these are properties that are very appealing when it comes to maximizing a product's visual appeal. But for companies that are tasked with finding titanium dioxide alternatives, unfortunately, there's no single universal replacement. But the list of replacements is growing. One is uh, rice starch, which is not only natural, but it's also fairly inexpensive. Another option is calcium carbonate, which has whitening properties and provides the benefits of strengthening as well, the calcium uh, for teeth. Uh, but both of these alternatives can affect the consistency and texture of the final product. And that's why several ingredients makers are working on titanium dioxides without these drawbacks. So I found a couple. One is from a company a Chicago-based company called ADM, and it offers a product called Pearl Edge, um, a property, uh, sorry, a proprietary white color solution derived from natural sources. Um, and in a press release, the global product marketing uh, vice president said, our team has been diligently working to perfect our new line of white color solutions, assuring its groundbreaking quality and performance. This rollout meets the evolving needs of customers and consumers as brands look for titanium dioxide replacements that not only provide a bright white shade, but also meet clean label targets. And there's another ingredient maker called Sentient that offers something called Avalanche, which the company claims has been the sole viable titanium dioxide alternative on the market. And Avalanche comes in a portfolio of simple ingredient starch and mineral-based solutions that have various applications from baking, confectionery, dairy, dry goods, and panned applications, among others. And then we also have other companies like Ingredion and NCC Food Ingredients that actually work directly with food producers from reformulation to new product development in order to determine which titanium dioxide is right for them. So, you know, one thing I actually realized now that I didn't really touch on was why we need a replacement or, or you know, why California is, is looking to ban it. And there's been many studies over the last um you know, several years that sort of have deemed the ingredient, um, you know, a carcinogen and, and dangerous, like like many food dyes are. I've talked about red dye three before, and that's why it's it's also part of this uh, this this bill that California's put together and is hoping to pass. Because um, we've we've really learned over the past uh, couple of years how potentially dangerous food additives and and coloring can be and and really for what i mean it's 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 it doesn't really add much to the food aside from pretty colors to attract children and and whoever else because fortunately these things are found in, in candies and 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 you know i'm a big gum chewer i know that titanium dioxide is uh, found in a you know white gum um but yeah i um i i want to get your thoughts on this it's a very you know a bit of a scientific topic so i want to know you know if you heard about the dangers of of titanium titanium dioxide and like how you know involved or intricate do you think this process would be for like sort of an industry-wide um take on of a replacement let's say well you know i was just looking at the history of titanium dioxide and according to usa today it says the fda first approved the use of 
titanium dioxide in food in 1966. Mm. So that was over 50 years ago. Yeah. Um, so I think just like the scientific toxicity tests that were around in the 60s are not as sensitive as the ones we have today. For so sure. I, yeah. <laughs> and I think perhaps um, that's why it was banned um, by the European agency, you said. So, yeah, you know, that's kind of, I, I you know, the European Food Safety Authority is a big you know organization it covers lots of countries and i'm almost wondering well if they banned it like what is the fda waiting for <laughs> like mm -hmm. i don't know you know because it's it's strange to me that they would go so extreme as to ban it like they didn't even lower the amount that's allowed in food they just completely banned it so i think europe has a long history of uh being much more yeah conservative I think with these ingredients and just going ahead and saying nope we're not allowing uh, food the food industry to use these anymore like they, they uh, correct me if I'm wrong but I think they banned that red three yeah, color additive so. like years and years and years ago right and then this this conversation in the US and North America in general has been continuing on of like mm, I don't know should we still be should we still be using this I think um and then this is sort of a bigger conversation, but I think the FDA, when it comes to food at least, has a bit more of a reputation of like um, being influenced by the food industry and, and lobbyists, you know? And so this is, as you were saying, Sydney, a big challenge to have to reformulate your product. Like it seems like it shouldn't be. Like from our perspective, when you look at it, you think, oh, what's the problem? Just just replace it with rice starch or whatever. But the, the textural changes, the like stability changes, there is so much food science that goes into these things. And then at the, you know, end consumer level, if you're picking up a package of um, whatever it is, if you're picking up some coffee creamer and you expect it to be one way and it's another, like all of a sudden maybe you've lost that consumer um, because it's it, they're like, oh, I don't like this anymore and they move on to another product. It's so cutthroat. Um, so I think this is like challenging. I think, you know, the, the FDA has a role to keep consumers safe, but I think they're also trying to balance that out with making things not too difficult for the food industry like you know for better or worse i don't know but yeah going back to what you were saying vera i think um yeah europe is so much more stringent on these food safety things than than uh north america and the the united states is it, it's it's gotta be maybe a bit of like a culture thing too mm -hmm. like like i i can't um, you know, I personally wouldn't be, um, I'd be happier with a cleaner, you know, product rather than it being the color I'm expecting. And maybe that's just something that Europeans are, are used to, or, or, um, and, and it must be the types of food that we consume as well. Um, or Americans consume, maybe there's a bit more like, maybe there's just more consumption of foods that have these ingredients in them and and we've just become so used to the way that they look because yeah it never mm -hmm. alters the taste or anything these are just superficial additives right for for the mm -hmm. most part um and it's interesting too because this bill would it only applies to california if it's passed too this is just like a state statewide yeah. level we're not even talking like fda yet so yeah. you're, you're totally right vera like the fda feels like a, like pretty far behind when it comes to this food safety stuff um 
Um, and of course, yeah, there's going to be backlash from from the food industry because um, of how intricate it would be to reformulate things. But it'll be interesting to see whether like, you know, the preference for like clean label becomes more mm-hmm. prevalent and whether that will speed up the process a little bit, too. Um because at this point, I think when consumers aren't even aware like what titanium dioxide is and aren't really paying attention to all the ingredients like in uh, you know the foods that they're eating, I feel like there's not going to be like much of a much of a change, unfortunately. Um, yeah, the yeah. only benefit I can see from the side of the food companies. Um, because yeah, this is like a huge undertaking just to replace one one little ingredient. Um, and if it's warranted, it's warranted. Obviously, if it's you know carcinogenic in, in large enough quantities. But uh, the only benefit I can see for them is the ability to reformulate their products and then come out with something that yeah they can call clean label. Or if it seems like if this bill passes in California specifically seems like everybody knows all of a sudden about the role of titanium dioxide in foods and now everyone's avoiding it like they would other you know um key phrases like other hot button topics uh then all of a sudden they could be like now titanium dioxide free or whatever they can make those like label claims and maybe differentiate themselves from competitors but it still definitely takes time to achieve that reformulation and uh and yeah i think you touched on something really interesting there, Sydney, about how in North America, we are so used to consistency between batches of products that we get. So if you think about, you know, the loaf of like Wonder Bread you get from the grocery store, like it always looks like the same bread, like you know what that is. Whereas in a lot of European countries, like the idea of like a soft loaf of white bread like that, that just like lasts for weeks and weeks on your counter is just like not a thing. Like they very much, um, they very much value being able to like go out every day and get a new loaf of fresh bread from a bakery. And maybe one day the shape is like slightly different and that does not phase anybody. But you're right. I think uh, products, especially these um, highly, uh, processed products, we're really used to them looking the same, that consistency. It's like how they say, you know, like a McDonald's, like hamburger is the same anywhere in the world. You know, everyone's used to it. They know what they're going to get. Um, and so maybe it's just a matter of kind of like trying to break free of that a little bit. And then maybe if your mozzarella cheese isn't completely milky white, like, but it's still fine. Maybe that's okay. You know, if we can get used to seeing that and not thinking something is amiss. Yeah. But that's definitely a huge undertaking for the the food companies themselves. And a a huge challenge then to educate consumers of like, yeah, this doesn't look as like white as it used to be. It's still fine. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be almost a paradigm shift, if I can say, Mm -hmm. because there's, you know, this is so prevalent in so many products and yeah I think we have a completely different climate here food climate in North America than in Europe I think isn't it in France where like record numbers of McDonald's were shutting down or I think they're they just even pulled their business from, Hmm. from from France because just no consumer demand so it's uh it's very interesting to see the differences between the continents and uh what's also interesting to me is um in the u.s how 
states have so much um, power or authority in their own governance, right? Mm. So here you have California taking the initiative to ban uh, titanium dioxide. And it's not the first time California has, you know, sort of been ahead of uh, these kinds of um, more innovative thoughts or changes, paradigm shifts. Um, um, I mean, we won't be speaking politically, but just in terms of uh, just trying to incite and uh, embody changes, um, California has always been sort of at the forefront. And so Mm -hmm. um, it's going to be interesting to see how many other states follow suit. If they follow suit, how does that um, translate into what the FDA is going to be doing. So it's it's very interesting, um, particularly in the U.S., uh, how the food climate is number one, and number two, how the regulations also come into play in terms of uh, at the state level and then at the federal lo- level as well. And uh, yeah, this is going to be a big, big thing for the food industry. I can't imagine how much... Um, of a shift is going to have to occur in terms of food companies adapting to to this ba- potential ban because it's going to as you know you've all pointed out like it's it's going to be a lot um, involved in making that shift so yeah we'll see what happens so moving on to another uh, potential ban um this one involves lab-grown meat and italy so you know a couple months ago we had the u.s uh, government finally approve the concept and and get more comfortable with the concept of lab-grown meat but now italy's government approved a draft law of a ban of lab-grown meat, um, among other lab-grown foods as well. Now, the bill would prohibit the use of laboratory-produced food and animal feed as it aims to protect the country's food heritage. So these stories are actually pretty related. Now, under this ban, which needs to be passed by uh, in both houses of parliament before becoming law, Those who produce, export, or import lab-grown food would face fines of up to 60,000 euro, which is about $65,000, and risk having their manufacturing plants closed. Calling for the protection of natural food versus synthetic food, lobbyists have collected half a million signatures in recent months, including that of Prime Minister Giorgia Maloney, um, who is the Prime Minister of Italy. And the push for a lab-grown meat ban comes just days after her government issued a ban on the use of insect-derived flour in pizza and pasta. So really, really tying into this whole food heritage thing. Now, the production of lab-grown food, which activists argue avoids the need for animals to be killed and is a more sustainable alternative to natural food has not yet that the market has not taken off in europe yet and is it's it's expected to actually just be years before such products appear on supermarket shelves and the potential lab-grown meat ban is a very preemptive move to safeguard italy's heritage and agriculture based on their you know, infamous Mediterranean diet. Now, in a response to the proposed lab-grown meat ban, Cellular Agriculture Europe, which is a coalition of food companies that produce lab-grown meat, poultry, seafood, and other ingredients, called it bad public policy. And the group added that the ban could be damaging uh, damaging the economic opportunity for Italy and the EU 
to be at the forefront of this innovation. Cellular Agriculture Europe wasn't the only group to oppose the lab-grown meat ban. Alice Ravenscroft, who's head of policy at the Good Food Institute of Europe, which represents the alternative protein industry, told BBC, this development puts Italy at odds with the rest of Europe, where other governments are eager to unlock the benefits of cultivated meat. Now, currently, Singapore is the only country to have allowed the sale of lab-grown chicken, while two companies in the U.S., Upside Foods and Good Meat, have been granted regulatory clearance by the FDA to produce lab-grown chicken. And meanwhile, several European countries, including the U.K., Netherlands, and Spain, have announced investments in the research and development of cell-based foods. However, no approval has been authorized within the EU as of yet, but the European Food Safety Union has said that cell-based agriculture and seafood could be considered as a promising and innovative solution to help achieving the objectives of the farm-to-fork strategy for fair, safe, healthy, and environmentally friendly food systems. Still, Italy would not be able to oppose the sale of synthetic meat produced within the EU if it is granted approval due to free movement of goods and services. Um, Ravenscroft um, told The Guardian in, um, in, an, in another story, she said, Italy is essentially a complete outlier here. What we're seeing across the rest of Europe is that other governments are eager to unlock some of the benefits of cultivated meat and are therefore being supportive. So this story, like, it, it's it's funny. It, it kind of surprised me, but it also kind of didn't. And, you know, it brings up the topic of um, you know, was this move like way too preemptive? Um, does it make them look bad? Personally, I think kind of yes to both of those things. But yeah, I want to know, like, do you think that, uh, you know, let's say in, in a decade, if if lab grown meat, really, the industry does take off in Europe, like, would it threaten the, uh, you know, Italy's like food heritage? Um, or do you think that, you know, they can work side by side and, and you know, those who want to try it can, those who don't, don't have to? Well, I honestly think they're like Italy is acting a little like anti-innovation like. Yeah. Because that's not a, that's not a fair reason to ban like lab-grown meat because you want to oh protect the heritage of the country like if that's like they're not giving their consumers any choice if that's the reason mm -hmm. they're just saying nope we don't like the idea whatever we're not gonna allow it in our country that's kind of like extreme you know that's that's not a good reason to ban something if it was for like oh we don't have enough information about you know the uh, manufacturing mm. or safety of these products like we're just going to ban it until we get that information. That's a that's a legit reason, in my opinion. But like saying like denying their their own citizens the right to like consume a product just because it's their ideology. Right. That's that's not a good reason for me. Well, you know, Italy, yeah, obviously has a very strong food history, food heritage. And so they take their food very, very seriously. But at the same time. Um, it just makes me think that there's probably a very strong meat lobby. Um, yeah, that's what I was thinking. In, in the country, right? For this to have taken effect so preemptively. Um, so that's what that, uh, you know, tells me that that's probably likely what's going on, that meat producers um, have probably a strong say in what is going to be happening on the regulatory side in terms of um, the introduction of lab-grown meat. Um, around the world eventually and so uh, they're already you know <laughs> jumping the gun and kind of like oh no what's gonna happen so 
Yeah, but I, like Vera is saying, denying people the choice, um, I think that's a little bit, uh, yeah, a little author <laughs> authoritarian <laughs> almost. But it's uh, it's interesting to see how, um, yeah, the how people and how countries are, um, you know, going to be dealing with this new completely new form of, of food product and uh there are a lot of unknowns and lab-grown meat is not quite there yet at all mm -hmm. um as you know i think sydney you're going to talk about another story again um to do with that but i think uh, this is a little premature on on behalf of uh italy but again like i said it's probably a very very strong um meat industry there that is uh quite concerned about what the future might hold and yeah. also clearly like a, a strong pasta industry too because yeah. because of the <laughs> ban on the use of insect derived flour like in pizza and go. pasta yeah. i thought that was also like so interesting and and like that one, I I don't like. I don't consider it as preemptive, just because um, like the EFSA has been very um, proactive with uh, sort of granting approval for like cricket and uh, you know and and insect derived foods. Um, but yeah, I just like I agree with you, all of you guys. Like it's 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 just a little bit too preemptive. And obviously, you know, as consumers, or at least me personally, I don't like being told what I can and can't try when it comes mm -hmm. to food. Like it just doesn't seem like the place of of a government really unless it's literally gonna kill me um <laughs> so yeah and we're just so far from that as well it just like it that's why I was like confused by it but I also like I I understand how how seriously Italy takes its food but I still also don't think that would threaten um you know their their normal food industry and you're not really I don't envision anyone going to Italy to uh to try their lab grown meat you know I think I think people are still gonna go to Italy and and those that live there are still going to consume their traditional foods that they want to um and if and when we do see lab grown meat the market take off there then yeah they should be entitled to uh to try it if they so please like it's it's it does feel kind of just like a weird violation of of like rights um but yeah, even to, you know, for the prime minister and it, it does feel like a little bit more of a right leaning, um, mm. you know, uh, political like statement. I just know how like pervasive um, the meat and just in general, like how pervasive the meat industry and just natural foods in general are to like, you know, politics uh, for some reason. Uh, I think in, in, in recent years, they've become more intertwined. Um, I think the, the general like fear is that people don't want the foods they've been used to eating for their entire lives to be threatened or gone. And I don't think that will be the case. I just think it's a bit of a fear based, you know, actions that are being taken there. But yeah, I, uh, I hope it doesn't pass. Um, and I like, yeah, I, I don't really know what to say. Even if it does, though, you know, so many countries, like I said, are working on um, cell based meat and other foods. So I don't think that, uh, you know, it'll it'll really affect the broader industry um, as as it's as it continues to develop. Yeah, and I feel like the way this whole proposed ban was positioned uh, in terms of yeah protecting the country's food heritage makes it sound like it's either ban lab-grown meat or 
that's it. That's your only yeah. choice now will be lab grown meat. You know what right. I mean? Like as if nobody will have the choice between two different can't things. coexist. Yeah, mm. exactly. And it makes me wonder, well, now that we have two examples of the lab grown meat and the, um, the insect derived uh, flour, you know, and pizza and pasta, it makes me wonder, you know, what are Italians overall views on like other substitutes? Like, uh, I don't know, what is the non-dairy milk market like there? Mm, Um, or other meat substitutes, you know, like, do they have beyond burgers and things like that? Or are they, are they just going for, if they're eating meat, they're eating meat. It it also, it does make me think that this is a decision made by, um, an older generation of lobbyists and, um, and, uh, political uh, people, uh, as opposed to, I, I would guess that, that the younger generation is maybe like a little more liberal and willing to try things. And I, yeah, in a place like Italy, I think if they allowed this, it would very much be like a, a minority thing. I cannot see <clears throat> in any future that this would completely overtake their um, traditional like agricultural and, and meat production uh, industries. So yeah, I agree with everything you guys are saying. And I think it is sort of a thinly veiled, um, uh, a thinly veiled, uh, you know, cover up for the, the meat lobby there. That's all I can think. Yeah. You know, like no one is, is, is forcing anything down anyone's throat. And I think, yeah, that that's kind of the fear, like it'll be replaced and that'll be your only option. So we have to move now. Otherwise, yeah, what you're used to will be gone forever. And I think Mm -hmm. like, yeah, it's a bit of fear mongering, honestly. Like I, like Mm -hmm. I absolutely love meat and dairy, traditional meat and dairy. Um, but I'm not in, at least in my lifetime, scared that I won't have access to it at some point. And Mm -hmm. it'll, and we talked about Italy a couple of weeks ago on the show, too, that, you know, when Starbucks initially entered the country, there were like oh, riots, oh. remember? Wow. Like, <laughs> because Italy's coffee, you know, they take Our their coffee espresso. pretty seriously, yeah. too. So clearly they're very, very protective and overbearing okay. of their own like food culture. And they absolutely have the right to like to do that and, and protect it. But, yeah, I don't think this is a is a productive way of doing so. But, and that yeah. feels like such another example, like that seems like a whole polar opposite to this because that's mm-hmm. like a major uh, North American food company, right. like fast food essentially <laughs> company coming into the country. I get that a lot more than I get this because I don't think mm-hmm. there's any um, threat of these like lab grown mm-hmm. meat companies all of a sudden becoming like the Starbucks of the country and running <laughs> like running smaller, um, you know, producers out of town. So yeah well awesome discussion um i think next week we'll have a episode that doesn't include any bands i think we've covered uh, <laughs> a lot of bands this episode but uh, yeah really enjoyed the conversation and that brings us to the end of this episode of the x talks food podcast and if you like today's show don't forget to rate review and subscribe thanks everyone and see you next week bye bye, bye. Thanks for listening to the X Talks Food Industry Podcast. If you enjoyed our discussions today, please share the episode with your friends and colleagues and be sure to subscribe in order to be notified when a new episode is released. To join in on the discussion, you can find X Talks on social media, email podcast at xtalks.com or comment on the articles directly. Links are in the show description. 
Take a moment to join our community at xtalks.com to get access to everything we have to offer, including webinars, job listings, virtual meetings, articles, and more. The views and opinions expressed in the podcast are those of the speakers sharing them. They should not be taken as professional advice and do not necessarily reflect the policy or position Honeycomb Worldwide. For further information, email us at podcast at xtalks.com. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next week.